welcome to Pull Up with Miles and Owen, episode 16. I am Owen Pence. I'm joined by Miles Ehrlich. And today we welcome to the, to the show someone who we are truly thrilled to be talking with. Someone who Miles and I are big fans of and who we've wanted to have on this podcast since we started the podcast uh, earlier this year, Pokey Chapman. Pokey is a basketball legend, hands down. Uh, she's currently an assistant coach for the Seattle Storm. Previously, she served as an assistant and then head coach of LSU basketball, leading the team to three Final Fours. In 2011, she became the head coach and general manager of the Chicago Sky, propelling the franchise to its first ever playoff berth and WNBA Finals appearance. She also served as the head coach and general manager of the Indiana Fever and has recently been on the sidelines at Athletes Unlimited. And if all this wasn't enough, she's credited as having hit the first ever three-pointer in Louisiana <laughs> high school basketball history. Pokey, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for uh, joining me. Oh, oh, man, my pleasure. Uh, I didn't remember that three-point shot. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that. But no, listen, I- I've been fortunate enough to be around some great people that afforded me some opportunities to ride this basketball wave and let it take me to places unimaginable. And before we even get started, just shout out to you guys uh, just for your coverage of our sport. I know the podcast has just started recently, but you've always been someone that's been there from the beginning when no one was paying attention and you just fought and clawed. And it's nice seeing you grow into what you are now. So thank you for that. Like coming from you, that means the world. I, I appreciate that so much. And, and we really are so excited to talk to you and have you on the show. We want to start with with this season um, because, you know, it, we, we talked about this just a little bit before the show where you look at the, the final standings and maybe Seattle didn't win as many games as it had in, you know, many of the previous seasons, you know, with with winning titles, all this. But it was a fun year to watch the Seattle Storm. Uh, there, there was a, a major vibe shift from last year with Brianna Stewart coming to New York and Sue Bird retiring. But a lot of young players came in and really injected some some energy into this franchise. You guys developed a hard-nosed identity as a tough opponent night in, night out. And a lot of defensive improvement over the course of the season. So given that reset, what do you think you guys uh, learned about the core of this team in terms of building a new foundation and a new era of Storm basketball? Listen, you did a great job of summing that up. And it honestly means a lot coming from someone on the outside looking in because we see that and feel it every day. And you want to make sure you're not just fooling yourself, right? But you can't really fake what you feel. And some of that growth that didn't show up in all the stats showed up in individuals. And I mean, it's easy to start with a Jewel Lloyd and not necessarily the records and her ability to score when defenses were, you know, charged with stopping her, but her leadership in the locker room during tough time and those type things. And you look at Ezzy Magbagor, uh, her development, all-star, her defensive prowess. But the fact that there were defensive improvements on the not-so-sexy side of the basketball uh, is something that we're proud of. And just the development of some of those rookies that had an opportunity uh, to step in and, and garner some minutes under the lights, that's going to net us some positive gains as we move forward. But uh, it was a fun group to go to work with every day. Uh, they were eager to learn, and the vibe was definitely something that fueled me throughout the season. So you talked about Jewel Lloyd. We knew that Jewel 
coming in was one of the best players in this league. And there was so it was no surprise at all that she was successful and was the centerpiece. But for her to take on such a heavy offensive load, lead the W in scoring while also just generating so much offense on her own, that was a new thing for her. So you also got to see her, at least from the outside, again, really step up as a leader alongside Sammy Whitcomb, who's a favorite of ours around here. So that's how, in my experience, at least from from covering teams, that's how you build a winning culture is to, to have those veterans that are leading by example. So what were some moments that stood out to you about Jules' fantastic 2023 season just beyond the box score? You know, um, it was prior to the season starting and just a conversation with her and just hearing the maturity in her voice and ready to take on the challenge. But I think what kind of set it in motion for me is when she showed up, first of all, she wanted to have her own little camp and have players come in and meet in California and work out and do their thing. And that's what the veterans do. They get together, they gather people, they play, they get started before they are officially needed to get started. But when she showed up at training camp and I saw her body and I saw, uh, you know, the, 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 the gleam in her eyes, but also, you know, just that, that voice. It was a voice that you knew it was there. It's not that it was muted, but there was a Sue Bird ahead of her that took care of that part of it. Jewel had her role. We could see her seamlessly step into that uh, from day one, and it never wavered. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, this is special, and it's hard for people to get inside of that and see it. But that was the thing for me. And then, you know, you mentioned Sammy Wickham. And, you know, Sammy's a favorite because Sammy's going to outwork everyone. Uh, of course, she's known for her her shooting, but it's also her leadership with such a young team. She knows and understands the game. And for her to be able to shift from that shooting guard to a point guard and, and then us have some success was a huge shift uh, for her and also for us. So I give her a lot of credit for that for that job she did in that part as well. You, you mentioned Ezie Magbagor, which I love because she's been one of my favorite players since she entered the league. Uh, and she had such a good season, showing so much improvement. I, I, don't, I don't think there was a lot of talk about that nationally. Can you speak to the work that she's put in and, and what did you see from her improvement-wise this season that really struck you? Yes, you know, um, I think about watching Ezzy abroad, first of all, and being the centerpiece on the EuroLeague team that challenged some of the mega teams abroad and still finding her way, establishing herself. Uh, of course, she does that with, you know, Australia as well. You know, they're in the world championship and she gets the, the final play call. So she has that respect. But to also watch it in Europe and for her to step into Seattle, another player that has been with greats before her and watch her game evolve. But specifically, you know, she can knock down a three-pointer. You know, she wasn't afraid to take that shot and watching her work on it all last year. She obviously worked on it in Europe uh, and then to step into that moment and be a threat uh, from that area of the floor. You know, we're always asking more of Ezzy. She's a quiet leader. She leads by example. I think an area she's going to you know, improve upon is having a little bit more of a voice just because people have so much respect for her. So I'm looking forward to her continued growth and she's so fun to coach. I love it. Love it so much because in her first couple of years, it almost felt like this is a long season. And as he 
like most young players in the W, are playing year round. And we had seen a couple of, of dips later in seasons, but she really went start to finish in the longest season that's ever happened in the WNBA with this 40 game slate. So it's really great to see her continued growth and just consistency. Um, so now looking forward to next year. Big deal, Jewel re-signed with the franchise instead of opting to test the market in free agency. So first off, how many sleepless nights does that save you just knowing that you already have her locked in? And how does that really help you guys come wintertime when you know you've already got a bona fide star on board and now you're pitching other free agents in terms of adding to that Jewel and Ezzy core rather than kind of starting with a blank slate? Listen, man, you talk about sleepless nights, probably a couple of, you know, neat whiskeys just to help me sleep. uh, (laughs) But uh, it was such a huge thing. But I think it speaks not only to Jewel and uh, her comfort and confidence in the franchise, but also Noelle Quinn. You know, and this is a part that doesn't get talked about a lot. It's a big reason why I enjoy being in Seattle and want to be there. you know, Noelle was an assistant. She was a player and she was an assistant, but she's also run that offense even when she was an assistant coach, you know, took over and did a lot in the bubble, which netted her the job. And there's that trust from the organization with Noelle's beautiful mind of basketball and that Jewel knows that we get the players. Noelle's going to mix it up to where we can have some success. So that all of that will, will, will send us off into free agent. And agency and Jewel has shown that, hey, I can be a part with the superstars. I can carry it. And that's the part that I think speaks volumes to who she is as a player. It's not one of those players that's going to get hers at the expense of others. You know, she, she's been known to play with other Olympians. Uh, and I think that's going to help us really this winter go out and attract some of those players that need to make Seattle their home. Love it. Love it. Um, and now let's transition a little bit because you talk about winter time and then I immediately think about Athletes Unlimited because AU will be playing in its third season this coming winter. You've been a facilitator for each of the first two seasons. What has that experience been like for you and how important is it to the WNBA's growth to just have professional domestic hoops all year round? Listen, I love the question because you tied in the WNBA immediately. And that's what the W immediately did after year one. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of, because AU is so uh, focused on who they want to be and how they want to operate. They're not in competition with the W. They actually want to be partners in creating a platform where more women could play basketball. Um, Obviously, this is at home. There's a component of television and branding and players led uh, for the most part of the league. So that's why they coexist. And I think that's why it going to so much attention. Players are seeing it. And then with some of the uncertainties overseas or maybe money being different uh, and players looking for different avenues, it, it'll become a more viable option for so many players uh, because the competition keeps getting better and you can work on your game while exposing, uh, you know, an, another form of, of professional basketball to the rest of the country. Yeah, shout out to the W for adding AU to League Pass after the first season. So during the second season, I think that's great for for customers that are um, that are WNBA fans, but didn't really know how to access because 
in Europe or in Australia, wherever we're watching. Sometimes you go onto YouTube. Sometimes there are weird third party sites that are going to destroy your computer that you have to go watch these overseas <laughs> games at. So that access is huge. And I think that that kind of builds that conversation forward too. Um, but about AU structure, I enjoy that so much because it really enables players to adapt their games while still playing meaningful hoops in the offseason. And I feel like some have really revolutionized their careers and, and changed the trajectory of their careers, even just this season. So I wanted to ask you about three players in particular that I had in awards consideration for this year, just to get your input. Mm -hmm. uh, Jordan Canada first, who is absolutely a most improved candidate. Dijanae Carrington, who, while she was hurt this AU season, really made a leap after her first campaign, I thought. And then Courtney Williams, who just, you know, this far in her, her career, just completely changed her style of play this season. She knocked down 44% of threes, finished fourth in assists per game. How does AU foster an environment to help players grow? Because especially in Jordan's case, I remember seeing her aggressiveness this winter in Dallas, and I said to myself at the time, if she could attack like this, if she can shoot threes with this confidence and this consistency, she's a different player than what we've seen in the WNBA. And she just came out and did just that. Yeah, she did. You know, um, we, we got to look at her for our last home game. And uh, it, it was nothing new to me because, like you said, I was in AU. And I think maybe the first two weeks of the AU season, I'm, second and third week, I actually had Jordan and Odyssey because they were um, – you know, Jordan was always Odyssey Sims' first pick uh, in the draft, but Jordan really did, you know, just take the next step. Uh, and you think about, you know, she was on a training camp contract in her home city and she made the most of it. But I think AU, in my opinion, and, and, and loosely resembles uh, the professional basketball in Israel. It's a guards league. Um, people go and they can work on their game. Uh, and, and, and I think the three games a week, gets you real-time game stuff. Uh, and you have to make adjustments on the fly. It's for people that are, you know, if you're really fit, you're not going to fade on week three or four. And some, some of those things that just stood out, and it was nice to see, you know, Jordan catapult that into a great season and, like you said, a candidate for most improved player. But a key part is you, you talked about the uh, – improvement from the three-point line and and you specifically mentioned Jordan but you also had a full-time player development person in Danielle Viglion who's on you know the Sparks' staff now and that just became a part of their DNA so to know you have that over a six-week period that's not what most players get or can mimic uh in any offseason so I think all those things helped as well with Jordan and then just to add that the one criticism I'd actually heard from a couple of people around the W was that they wish that AU was just a little bit earlier because by the time some about half of the league has in the last couple of years, front offices have sent people to scout and to try to fill out those rosters. Um, but by the time you get to late February, a lot of those teams are already kind of squared away for training camp. So is that a way do you think that AU can potentially even help this, I don't know, this partnership or, or coexisting with the W in a way that can also benefit the players who are there, lots of them looking for new opportunities. Yeah, and I think, you know, AU, like I said, very focused on what they're trying to get done. And if they can and be a, a you know, a partner with the W and vice versa, that's going to work. But if you recall, the first season was really early. 
it was mm -hmm. January 15th through February 25th or something like that. It was a lot earlier. So I think it's more about finding the windows and the where to have these that AU is concerned about as opposed to making it the most comfortable for the W. Uh, and if it works out, that that's great because I know they do want to be partners there. But I think it's more about time and place of when they can get those six weeks, five weeks of basketball, but six weeks of gathering in. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure that would definitely help because there are a lot of players that got some attention and some training camp invites that first year as well. So we want to transition. One thing, you know, I was so excited to to ask you about, we are in market here in New York. And so we cover the Liberty. We're at these Liberty practices and we see Benajah Laney every day approaching practice with the same tenacity, the same energy level from day one of training camp through the, the doldrums of the regular season. Um, and it's just incredibly impressive, not only watching her growth, but just the way that she sets the tone for this team uh, and her leadership qualities. And so I want to rewind to the Chicago days and, and, and to have you put on your, your front office general manager hat. And just ask you what you saw in Benajah coming out of Rutgers that that made you think she was going to be a good professional. Correct. Let, let, let me do this. I want to rewind because you mentioned two other players, and, and I won't go long on them, but I, I want to shout out Dejanae Carrington and Courtney Williams. But specifically mm -hmm. because Dejanae tore it up her first year on the court. Then that second year when she was hurt, I really got a peek inside her mind and how she not only knows the game, but can convey it to other players, coach slash player in a meaningful way, very calm uh, and not just coach speak and talk. That was the most impressive to me. The basketball, obviously, but she was so impressive when she sat on that bench and helped as a facilitator. Uh, I can see why her game has kind of, kind of grown. The second one, uh, third one, but Courtney Williams. I had Courtney my first week uh, as a facilitator and of course, you know, she understands the game, but it was the way she, she knew how she wanted to draft, who she wanted to draft, very specific. She knew how she wanted to play. She wanted freedom with a little structure and a couple of quick hits for people in her basketball mind. But she also worked on her game. You know, of course, she's mid-range is her layup. But then to watch her be comfortable with those threes and, like you said, to 40-plus percent from the league uh, is no surprise to me. So I was excited to be around those players not just as a player, but see their basketball mind and their coaching. So I wanted to say that, but Benaja, wow. Um, interesting, that senior year, Benaja and Copper, actually, uh, Coach Stringer had a lot of injuries uh, to her post players during that, their senior year. So they were playing the post, right? So that's when you got to peek at the toughness. And uh, I was in Chicago. They were playing Northwestern. I could go and watch games. And I could literally walk to the games. And then to see this six-footer who played like she was 6'2 and about 25 pounds heavier, not afraid to bang, but not afraid to, afraid to blow by you. And then she was so vocal. And it was something that you don't see with players who play off the ball. And I'm like, man, she has this commanding presence. She doesn't handle the ball. And that's what we we're always looking for. You know, we want to go to a game when they're going to, blow someone out, not the big rivalry games where they play playing someone. Everybody shows up for that. But it was those moments that you just saw like, shit, I can't teach that. That's innate. I can amplify it. So it was a bunch of those things, you know, and I, I, I drafted Benazza 17. So it wasn't like I made some, you know, oh my God, let me, I was ecstatic. She was there at 17. 
uh, probably a little too excited. And of course, no one could have predicted how far she would come. But to me, it was how she handled adversity and the injuries that she ended up not being in Chicago after I was gone because of an injury. She, you know, Australia, she found her way back to Connecticut. I was fortunate enough to to steal her in free agency and bring her to Indiana. Uh, and after I was gone, she was released from Indiana, but she just kept coming back. Then she's most improved in Atlanta. And then, you know, corner threes get you paid, right? So she's making those corner threes <laughs> like, like their layups. And it's just so fun for me to see her carve out her niche, her way, and what everyone else came to see the other three. The one, two, three, yeah, hell, there's probably seven of them. The others, you know, is playing offense, and it's Benaja whose offense is pretty damn good and defensively, and she has never, ever dipped. So I'm happy to see her get her recognition. I love all of this so much. And first off, thank you for, for giving love to Dijanae and Courtney because Miles and I have been talking about those two players quite a bit and just so impressed by by the way they've they've played this season. And then on to Benaja, you know, what you said about just her game being so complete and, and her vocality, you know, being this vocal leader uh, on the team. I was talking to Courtney Vandersloot a few weeks ago, and she relayed a really funny story that I think just uh, kind of conveys the essence of who Benaja is uh, about back in 2015 and Benaja being this second round rookie. And you guys are in practice and she is guarding Elena Deladon so <laughs> intensely. And and Sloot was like, we at, you know, on one hand, we were really impressed. And then on the other hand, we're like, hey, like, don't don't injure our superstar here. Uh, do you have any standout Benaja stories or memories or just kind of anecdotes from the Chicago days to, to that tune? I do. I remember that. But I also remember this. We were in Dallas. Uh, getting ready to watch video and practice. And we get the coaches get up, get ready to do the scout in this auditorium room, film room. And Benazza asked if they could have a, a little team meeting. So what this now this is her rookie year. And I'm thinking, what the hell? But I'm loving it, right? So I said, sure. So I tell my coaches, she said, no, coach, you guys can stay. I'm like, well, damn, this is good. And then she just wanted to talk about basketball and what they needed to do more of and have some people put stuff in the room where they need to improve. And on that same note, I remember her complimenting Deladon and telling her how she's one of the most gifted players she's ever been around and how she can do it. She said, but we're going to need a little bit more out of you defensively, E. And I went, oh, this girl is special. <laughs> <laughs> this rookie is special, right? And, 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 the, and the reason I say that is because, of course, she acknowledges the greatness of everyone she put herself out there first. Uh, but the, the way it was received was amazing because she will outwork you and she was already respected. So, uh, and I'm sure that, look, that was a rookie year. So now she's probably, you know, like a coach on the floor outside of Sloop. So that really helps. We have had the privilege, both Owen and I, of, of watching B these last couple of years in New York. And I think that that, it hasn't been talked about enough, just the way in which, this team came together where it could have been some personalities butting heads. And, and you know, you know, Brianna Stewart, you know, Courtney Vandersloot. So you know that they're not the kind of people that are going to come in and say like, it's my way or the highway kind of thing. But still that having 
Sabrina there and having Benaja there, is it their team or is it the team of, of the new stars coming in with, with Slut, with Stewie, with JJ? And I think Benaja, just as what you're talking about, as that lead by example kind of player, that's what Brianna Stewart is also. That's how you earn that respect is no one else is going out there and, and just going to outwork them and push in a way that they won't. And I believe that that's what has helped this team coalesce and kind of come to a common goal. And just speaking to B's selflessness is looking at her role and how every single month throughout this season, she was averaging 5.8 points in May and was up to over 18 points a game on over 50% shooting by the end of the regular season in September. So she's worked so, so hard to, not just she's been a knockdown shooter now as her career has progressed. And like you said before, she's always been known as a lockdown defender, but where I've seen that improvement, especially this season from B is what you alluded to before with the efficient looks, she's knocking down those corner threes off drive and kicks. She's punishing mismatches and post-ups, which is like, that's what we see from the the veterans like the Alicia Clarks, right? That they, they realize, Mm -hmm. Oh, I got some size in the posts. I'm realizing what I'm doing defensively. I can do this on offense too. So does it surprise you at all that she has reached the heights that she has? Listen, uh, I I don't want to downplay her hard work, but when you're there from the beginning and you watch it, like if someone did a deep dive on, you can say she's a lockdown defender, but when you take it to the next level and say she can lock down a point, a two, a three, a small four, (laughs) You may not have to scram her out of every five player because she Mm -hmm. may not let them get the real estate that they want. That's what separates her. And I don't care if it's Sabrina, Slooty, Stewie. They know. (laughs) (laughs) They may not talk about it, but they're like, hey, we're going to war with that. And that's not going to get the headlines. It's not going to get talked about. That's been a staple before the media trucks rolled up to New York, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you're on the inside of that, you know that. So you rock with that. You know you know who's going to be in the game at the end of games, uh, guarding the, the most dominant player offensively. We're also not letting her stuff dip. And I think the other aspect of that is she's going to get you an extra possession at least three to four a game. And of those four, she's going to put two of them back in. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like when you dissect and dice it all up, players know. Now, you guys know because you're deep divers into the basketball, but that's not going to make Sports Center or some headline and, you know, in the city. But players know, and that's why she has that respect. In 2015, you mentioned Benaja Laney, a second round pick. The first round pick, also pretty good pick, Cheyenne Parker. So this was something I was really excited to ask you about. Miles knows, and I wrote about this recently, but I love the tradition of the half-court shot contests in the WNBA. And so I was talking to Cheyenne Parker and Courtney Vandersloot about this and didn't even really have an angle. I just wanted any sort of, you know, memories about half-court shot competitions over the course of their career. And of course, they both brought up uh, having you as a coach and the $100 pot that would continue to grow with every win they just loved that so much. Uh, and it was so unique. They were like, that was just the best. We, we wish we could have that our whole careers. How did you come up with that idea to to add, you know, $100 to the pot uh, on winning streaks? 
Listen, I was broke at the end of the season, but that was a good thing. I, I figured if we're winning, damn it, I'll get it back in the playoff bonus. Something has to give. But you know, we 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 weren't this established team. I, I went to an expansion team that hadn't gone to the playoffs, and you know, you want to have little extra incentives, and it was also a fun thing, you know. And I think it got up to six or seven hundred dollars one time, and I was like, "Man, I need my meal money. I need my check to post right now." <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I got to the point where a couple of my assistant coaches were like, "Can we participate?" I'm like, "Come on now!" But, uh, <laughs> it was, and, and I actually forgot. I didn't. I didn't think I forgot about it, but it's funny that they both remember that. So uh, yeah, you know, they were younger players, and every you know, everyone needs a little extra cash. It was fun to be able to add that, you know, a little bit of fun stuff to the pot. That's when Cheyenne said she was like, "I was on a rookie contract, but then you're going up against." I mean, we watched Courtney Vandersloot shoot these half court shots, you know, after shoot around in New York, and she is unbelievable at them. She she claims that Allie Quigley shoots like fifty percent on half quarters, which which I have to believe. But watching Courtney just do a, a set shot, she doesn't even run up; she just stands on the line, and she feels like she drains, you know, at least thirty percent of them. It's ridiculous. Do you have any fun memories of, of those contests over the years? No, but it's funny you mention that because Slooty is, you know, probably a buck thirty-five wet, and then she just takes a little unassuming, casual step up, bends her knees, and she has the nice backspin. So that long range has a it has a chance if it hits the back rim to bounce in, and I can always remember thinking I thought she would always hit it because she had a nice little backspin on it. But uh, yeah, she won her fair share. I, I would definitely say that. That's what I remember. <laughs> I mean, that's very different from Benaja, who runs the full length of the court to get up to the half court, <laughs> and I don't know how she gets her footwork right for those. Yeah, look, look looking like a triple triple jumper, right, Benaja? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Well, I'll transition to our last section here. We want to talk about the postseason with you a little bit um, because obviously you guys are you're watching this from home. But how do you approach the playoffs when you aren't on the sidelines? Are you watching these games as a fan? Are you breaking down everything inside your head and analyzing? Are you referring back to your your notes and your scouts from earlier in the season? How do you just kind of take it all in? You know, it depends. If if I'm alone, I'm recording it. I'm, I'm trying to watch it like a fan, but we can't. Let's, if any coach tells you they can, they are not being 100% honest with you. Uh, and, and, and I will tell you this, no one wants to watch the game with me because I want to rewind it. I don't <laughs> always I don't always have the commentating on because I'm discussing things with somebody else who loves basketball. So I'm a hard person to watch it with. But uh, I, I think we watch it because we want to see the adjustments. You know, it's not a 30-plus team league. It's 12 teams. The playoffs are eight. So we're always trying to find what adjustments did each team make to steal two possessions each half. You know, did they do something out of the timeout? Did they blitz here? Did they switch? Did they, You know, just something to, to break rhythm. And it's usually something really subtle uh, in that regard. So I enjoy it. Uh, I'm always recording them. I, I can't always catch them live because I have some things going on, but I know like to me, it's not about the final score all the time. I just want to see the good basketball and the adjustments and players that rise to the occasion in those moments. But, uh, I definitely enjoy it. We're, we're so excited to ask you about these teams too, because you have been coaching against these teams all year and, and you know, you know, the players in the league better than just about anyone, of the teams that are still remaining in the playoffs right now, 
is there anyone, and you could take this in any direction you like, is there anyone who's impressed you seeing them up close this season, both from a, a team perspective, or are there any players that you've really enjoyed watching this year uh, and, and that you're keeping your eye on to see how they perform over these next handful of weeks? You know, that's a tough one because I, I, I could probably start with a lot of teams, but, and this is in no particular order. Like, I really do think that, as you know, it's just a, a game of matchups, right? I look at the Washington, New York. I think Washington started the season beating New York, ended the season beating New York, maybe regular season, something like that. And mm-hmm. now they're matched up. So it's really a game of matchups. And Washington's a seven seed, right? <laughs> but uh, but they're not. And you think about the injuries. So I just kind of credit players who've been there for the long haul when their teams have gone through adversity, didn't always get the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I shout out Washington a lot, you know, you know, Deladon was out a long time. So she's rested. Now she's healthy and no Austin and no Atkins. But you look at Cloud and Sykes and everyone, uh, Hawkins, who stepped in like that's a lot to keep things rolling until you're ready. And then your, you know, your your present is, you know, New York, who they feel confident about. Like they're not tripping like the rest of the world. They're like, OK, we're good. We respect but we've had some good burn there. So let's keep it rolling in that regard. Uh, so my, my point is there's some key matchups that I really like. Interesting. And this is in no order, Atlanta, Dallas, like when Dallas, I think Dallas won every matchup during the regular season. So to see Atlanta come out and start up the way they started, you knew it was going to shift. I didn't know it would shift to uh, uh, the big, you know, turnaround and, and Dallas winning it, but that's the playoff. That's what keeps you, excited. That's when you see the superstars and the unicorns, probably, you know, Satu rises and Enrique's going to be Enrique, but Dallas poses some problems because they have size in the paint. They have size on the perimeter. They can just really smother you. And if they're going offensively, that's a whole nother thing, you know, uh, and Vegas is Vegas. I, I think sometimes people don't give the individuals the credit because they're just this machine. Uh, but they're a machine in areas that don't get talked about a lot. Like, I mean, Jackie's offensive prowess and the way she's become so, then people forget about her defense. It is not just on the ball. It's her ability to be in secondary and third third player help and then get the rebound and ability to take it coast to coast, kick or score. And, you know, Asia is unbelievable. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen her miss a ball. She catches every damn ball that's thrown to her, even if it's out of her area, right? And now she's scoring at every level. She, her sister up. You know, they're just – I could go on and on. And I'm not going to even talk about Greg because I'm biased with point guards. I'm just going to leave that alone. I say all that to say it is going to be so exciting because there's some key matchups, you know. Vegas is waiting on this next round, and both those teams have had success against them. So that's interesting. And New York's going to – you know, have some fun there, but um, you know, Connecticut has to go on the road and 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 and, and win it at, at Minnesota. So that in and of itself is going to be interesting as well. So I'm going to really try to watch these next the next games as a as a fan and try to enjoy from that vantage point. I love that you shouted out Jackie Young specifically because just and and Owen has been a, a Jackie Young truther since back in the back in the Notre Dame days but all the way up through you know it, it took her a little while to get to this point and now i think 
she might be the best transition scorer in the WNBA based on her ability to pull up and shoot so efficiently from three and also just her balance. Once she gets into the paint, she squares up and she, I don't know if you talked about Asia never missing a pass. I don't know if I've ever seen Jackie Young blow a layup. So just for her to be so consistent for them, that was something early in this year in New York. I was saying Benajah might be put into a very similar role as, as Jackie in terms of, you know, they might not always run offense for her, but when they need a bucket, she can do it for them. And um, so that's a, just a great shout out there, I thought. No, I agree. And you, you said the key word is balance. And that goes, it doesn't get talked about a lot, except if you're mad at referees and speed, balance and quickness. <laughs> you know, that's the that's time it's all, always talked about. But her balance and when she gets in the paint, sometimes I think she's better with contact. And she was mm-hmm. like, thank you. Let me body up. Thank you. Thank you for helping me out. You know, so uh, it's nice to see that. And I think recently maybe I saw or heard someone talk about her working out. And I like the deep dive into she didn't come out the womb doing this. I like when people go behind the scenes and do the work. You know, I was leaving the arena one night in Vegas and I was on the elevator with their assistant GM, who also was a strength and conditioning person back in her San Antonio days. going to the to the the weight room with Jackie. She's still in her uniform. I'm like, man, I mean, and look, some you know, people do that sometimes, but this is like her part of her routine. An hour and a half, you know, an hour lifting, and then she likes to box and you know, just the whole, you know, gamut of being a pro. And it's nice to see that. And I'm not saying other people don't do other people don't do it, but you could tell that it's paying off for her. Yeah. Owen last year wrote a terrific profile on Jackie and and spoke about and talked to her about that, about she got into boxing when she was playing in Australia and just how much that that helped her game. Um, so great point that you bring up and just such a such a great image in my head now of Jackie going to the weight room post game still in that uniform. Uh, but before we get you out of here, I want to try to push you a little bit. Can we push you for some playoff predictions going forward? Who do you think? is going to be left standing. Who are the teams that meet in the finals? And do we finally see a back-to-back champ or are the aces dethroned? Oh, man. You're really going to do this to me? Um, <laughs> I, I No, 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 no. It, it's, I mean, the aces have to be the favorites going in, correct? You know, they, they, they have to be uh, in that regard. So I, I think it's, and they're going to be pushed in this next round. Uh, but I think they found a nice, sustainable uh, fill-in when Candace went down. People don't talk about that enough. And Alicia Clark being able to plug the three, being able to plug the four on both ends. So they have some parts that can maneuver. Um, I, I think they may be the favorite going in. And that's as far as I'm going to go. That's so easy. I know. I know. Real easy. But, uh, yeah, and, 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 and the thing about it is that I don't think they've always played, you know, beautiful basketball for them. Now, it's beautiful for me because I, I respect Becky. I respect how they play. I respect the minutes and mileage that those players are putting on. But they'll hunker down as a unit and D you up. Mm-hmm. You know, like Gray may not pick you up, but her hands, her feet, and her positioning, excellent. You know, Jackie could bump you or she could kind of smother you in the half court. You know, Asia's just lurking for anything 
um, on ball, off ball. And that's why Stokes gets her minutes. She's the, the best complimentary piece for her on ball defender and off the ball. And I think as amazing as the offense has been in the league over the years, because there's so few teams and they're so familiar, their defensive connectivity may get them over the hump. And I'm not saying it's great or it's perfect, but when you have vets who understand the action is coming before it's coming, they don't need to scout and put our play call. They understand from the alignment, oh, they're getting ready to get into their five-out action and up screen and traffic. So that helps. They understand this wedge is coming, so let me get here and heavy nail help. That experience, along with them being connected defensively, I think may get them over the hump. I, I totally agree. I, I, I tweeted this out the other day. It's, it, it's, it's so underrated. People just forget that Asia Wilson, Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, they've played every professional WNBA game together. I, I think we, we kind of <laughs> lost track of that, you know, before the season. It's like they have real, real hours that they've put in together. They know each other's games so well, and, and it, it really bears out when you watch them on the court. I agree. I agree. But that being said, you know, the 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 game may be poised for upsets. And if that grows our game, that's fine. But, uh, you know, the, the coach in me kind of leans toward uh, Vegas being the front runner. Well, Pokey, this has been so, so much fun talking with you. And, and we really appreciate the time so much. And, and I, I really mean this. It, it is an honor and a privilege to talk basketball with you. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I need to talk to you guys more often, man. You're good for the ego. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Keep, okay, keep doing it. Keep fighting the good fight. Keep doing the work and promoting our game. It's very much appreciated. So thank you. Thanks so much, Pokey.